app, plus 93.7 FM, and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. My name is John Warren. Sitting across from me in Mike Parker's chair is, of course, T.J. Matthewson. Good morning. Good morning. Got to get these uh, microphones right because they're not quite right. There we go. Um, yes, it is uh, Tuesday. Mike is on the road. Kind of a strange, strange uh, deal this week, schedule, with Oregon State taking on um, uh, Arizona State tomorrow, a Wednesday night. Is this, I think, this is the first Wednesday. I think so, too. For the Beavers this year. There have been others before, but I think this year is the first Wednesday. And then they got Oregon on Saturday. Is that what? Oh, uh, right? uh, Yeah. Mike's going to go clean up the remnants of the Phoenix Open. <laughs> I, I read a headline. I, I didn't read the story, but I heard a lot of stories from my son who went to it and saw a few tweets from Angie Machado from BeaverBooks.com. Yeah, she didn't, so, didn't look like she was having a, no. as good of a time as 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 I think the rest of us expected, <laughs> right. expected going down there. And as a two-time attendee of the event, some of the, <laughs> some of the stuff I saw oh, man. made me chuckle a little bit. I, you know, I thought it was already off the rails. I heard this year was worse off than the rails. Ever. Yeah, how they just uh, essentially just stopped checking tickets at the gate, and people are just walking in. Yeah, walking in. It's like, oh, uh-oh. and then it's like, okay, well, now we got to cut off all alcohol. And then when you tell the Phoenix Open, the patrons of the Phoenix Open, that you can't buy alcohol anymore, then it's oh. like kills the whole point of the event and there was those mudslides uh-huh. because it had rained so much that week that any of the hills <laughs> that you people know, people were just ripping their shirt off and, and, and diving sliding down, down and which just tears up the course and everything it's, it's the most on-brand phoenix open thing ever for this to happen because <laughs> it like it, it has long been portrayed as this just different event in golf and right allowing the sort of behavior which again i've participated in so i can't i can't judge it all because <laughs> i'd be the bit, world's biggest hypocrite but the fact that it's it got to the point where eventually you're like, oh, half a million drunk people in one place at one time. <laughs> you know, there's a good chance that goes off the rails. Yeah, so I see this headline. It just it just said uh, uh, issues with with Phoenix Open will be dealt with, and I you just know in the article it 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 just breaks it all down, and and you know you should read it and find out exactly what they plan to do. But I thought that was hilarious. I don't I don't know what they try to like. You can't rebrand the event. You, uh, rein it in somehow. Somehow. I, I, I'll have to check it out just yeah, so we can follow up with that and see what they do. What they do. What? Anyway, we have a loaded show for you today. We will take phone calls and texts, but there are three interviews we have lined up for today. Starting with 1130, Ellie Garcia, pitcher on the Oregon State Softball Club. They go three and two. They have two losses to ranked teams by only one run. One nothing to Florida and then two to one to on Sunday to Michigan. So a really good start to the season for Oregon State softball. Ellie Garcia, a pitcher on the program, will join us here at 1130. At 12.05, Mike Gustafson, you, you managed to get this guy. Tell us what, what that's about. He's the president and CEO of the College Baseball Foundation. Pat Casey will be at this event on Thursday. You, you and Mike had talked about it. And the, the conundrum with Mitch not being able to actually get to right. the event. Because, or any other supporters yeah, involved with baseball. Because the Beavers are playing the next day in a different state. Right. So that that's just not possible. But Mike Gustafson will come on here for about 10 minutes and yeah. tell us a little bit about the vent. They now have their first physical location just outside of Kansas City in Overland Park. 
And the irony of timing, uh, they had a whole quarry of investors to make mm-hmm. this happen. You know who the most notable investor is? Well, I do, because you told me, but yeah. go ahead. It's Patrick Mahomes. Pretty cool. Yeah, the guy who's just being paraded around as the Super Bowl MVP for the third time is is a big part of this. Well, think about it. He's in thing. Kansas City. They probably yeah. went to big... His dad's a big college baseball big player. Player, former MLB, or, yeah. you know, pitcher yeah. Patrick himself was a could have been a, a two way yeah, uh, a no two way star if he tried it. So, um, yeah, big investment dollars in there, and the, the, a couple of things with the the the, the whole uh, thing that they got going on the night of champions on Thursday. What's it about? Who's, uh, how who's they gonna choose talk? everybody? How they choose yeah. their pro their uh, hall of yep. famers and yep. and. How old this whole thing is? So that's coming up at twelve. And and one more note, we will touch on this briefly with Mike. He's the color analyst for Texas Tech baseball. Ah, ah. who who the Beavers will play next weekend in Arlington. In Arlington, yeah. Oh, that'll be interesting. Twelve thirty, Cela Heidi will join us, and we're kind of going through the roster. When who who can we get? And it was just a matter of who was taking tests or studying for tests or or whatnot, because they do have some time uh, this week until Friday night against UCLA. Sheila Heidi will join us. Both her parents will be down, and they've come to games already, but it's so unique that she's on the team. Not only was one parent a Beaver player, but both parents were Beaver players. And my first year here in 99, calling Oregon State women's basketball um, for the first of, I think, six years, the uh, Cecil Pierce was on the women's team, and she was breaking shot block records and setting shot block records that eventually Brina Cheney broke, and then eventually, uh, who was it, Maria Gulich um, for Oregon State. And then Jason Heidi was on the men's side, and they were they were you know dating. I almost said courting. I'll tell you how old I am. They were dating at the time, and, and then uh, they have a couple of kids, and, and Sela starting out at Cal and then ends up uh, as a transfer at Oregon State. So very unique, really cool stuff there. She'll join us at 1230 today. And in between, we have a couple of big topics to get into and a few other things. I want to read this first and ask for your help, Beaver Nation. I want to ask for your help on this because both TJ and I were going, What? So this is from the news side of the world in the state of Oregon, as you may know or may not. I don't know how involved in news you are, but our state legislature started last Monday. So we're into the second week of a short session where they get together and make up a bunch of laws. Um, And here's here. Let me just read this because I don't understand it. A bill proposed in the Oregon House would amend the state's law regarding college athlete name, image and likeness to prohibit the NCAA, confer- the NCAA, comma, conferences and any other athletics governing body from taking adverse action against an athlete or school due to actual or alleged violations of the governing body's rules related to NIL. Hmm. That's not even all of it, and I don't even understand exactly what that means. So as long as you're not breaking the Oregon state laws for name, image, and likeness, the NCAA cannot come in and punish well, yeah. let me keep going. The, There's a lot of very vague words exactly. in Exactly. The measure would also permit NIL compensation to be contingent on an athlete attending a particular school and provide college and universities in the state and their employees with liability protections related to NIL activity. What does that mean? The first part of it makes it sound like, well, you got to be going to a school to get money. Okay, that makes sense. But the last part of that, I don't understand. Oh, you you have connections, John. You can get us someone from the legislator. Uh, yeah. HB 4119 was read for the first time last week, and a public hearing was held by the House Committee on Higher Education, which will hold a work session for the bill on Tuesday. That's today. The bill adds 
quote, athletic reputation to the traits a college athlete can earn compensation from and looks to give liability protections to college to college and universities in the state who would be permitted to participate in identifying, facilitating, enabling, or supporting opportunities for a current student-athlete to exercise the student-athlete's NIL rights without fear of penalty from the NCAA or other athletic governing bodies. Hmm. Does that mean <coughs> NCAA can't? Keep a kid from getting money. I, these are. I think it's a bill covering issues that haven't come up. To be fair, they they can't really do anything, anyways. <clears throat> As proposed, the bill would stop the NCAA or other athletics governing bodies from preventing a college or university or athlete from participating in college sports. Quote: Accept uh, a complaint, open an investigation, or take any other adverse action against a school or athlete as a result of a violation or an alleged violation of the rules or regulations of the athletic association conference or organization related to a student athlete exercising the student's NIL rights. What in the world does that That's a all lot say? of words. That's a lot of words. I feel like that could be boiled down to something a lot simpler. I think it would with it less could. with less vague terminology on what is <laughs> What's it? What qualifies as adverse enforcement? What qualifies wow. as vi- what's a violation? Technically, I mean. Anyway, I, I will just go through it real yeah. briefly and say if anybody has anything on that, and you actually know that bill uh, better because not from just us reading it here, because you know that was just kind of going through something really, really wordy and complicated very quickly without breaking it down. If you already know anything about it, could you explain it to us in simple terms? Because it sure seems like a lot of blather mm. about something that either hasn't happened yet or I, I honestly I don't understand it. But I thought, wow, I gotta read this thing and see if anybody listening kinda knows anything about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, welcome to the program. Looking forward to our conversations coming up again today with Ellie Garcia, Mike Gustafson from College Baseball, and uh Sila Heidi later today. I've got this chest thing I can't keep from from coughing, I need the deep breaths. But we want to start out with the program. There's a couple of topics that we have set aside for today. <coughs> and then again, anything that we just kind of evolve into, which DJ and I often do. The first one, though, is, and it's it's a bit of a delay reaction. I kind of thought we would hear more about this yesterday. But Tony Romo. Now, I normally don't and wouldn't, I, I feel uncomfortable criticizing any broadcaster because Especially at that level, they have the job and we don't. So it's hard to sit back, fold your arms and say, entertain me and do it well. I just, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like when it's done to me. I don't like doing it to others. So it's not really piling on, but it is interesting to take the aggregate of everybody else talking about mm-hmm. it, play the audio and say, yeah, I can see that point. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know what I mean by it's it's a bit, well, who are you to, to, yeah. to say that? Well, I am 33 years in the business with the knowledge of what you're supposed to do. Whether or not I do it very well is is not, I don't want that to be an issue. Because, yes, we can talk about it. The fans, they just say, oh, that, that guy's terrible or that guy's great. And that's that's the prerogative of a fan. I get that. But I will say this. There's some rules that we all learn. Whatever industry you're in, you learn basic rules and what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and you learn them in the very beginning, 101. And one of the very first things I ever learned was if you're doing play-by-play or you're an analyst and there's 
a very dramatic ending, any kind of dramatic ending to, to the big buildup, in this case, Super Bowl, overtime, no, 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 no. You can name a number of things that add to the drama, right? <clears throat> when the final play is made, if it's a miraculous type of thing or just the culminating dramatic end like this one was for the Super Bowl, let it breathe. Don't, don't say anything if you're the analyst. Now, we have examples of everybody doing it uh, this weekend for the Super Bowl on different platforms. We're going to play all these examples. The biggest one that's being talked about is Tony Romo. Now, Tony Romo is a guy that's been getting in, uh, has been getting a lot of uh, bad press and a lot of people complaining about him, of course, on social media. For a long time, and I haven't paid close enough attention. I just, I'm too college-centric. Um, I, I'll watch these games, but I don't sit down and listen to Jim Nance and Tony Romo for every game that they do. So I understand. I've heard him. I like his voice. It was real gravelly this weekend, but I like his voice. I, I, I like the duo. I love Jim Nance. I think he's one of the best there is. And I thought, you know, when people were criticizing Tony Romo, it was, I thought, well, that's interesting because I don't pay attention. I'm more concerned with Oregon State and, and college sports, right? But I do remember the very beginning when he came out and he was on fire, TJ. Everybody loved him. He was basically in one of the first games he did, essentially calling every play because he was so spot on and everybody loved him. Well, that can turn on you really fast. Mm-hmm. And it did. So the ensuing years, it's like, well, that guy ever shut up? He just keeps talking and talking and talking and da 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 da. So every time I would listen, I would remember these criticisms and go, well, is that true? And just kind of go, eh, he's okay, he's fine. Um, But this game, my wife, who does not listen to any NFL broadcasting or anything, she listens to John Warren, TJ Matthewson, and Mike Parker, and that's it. She said most of the way through the game, we hadn't really said anything. My buddy was there. It was just three of us. She goes, will that guy ever be quiet? (laughs) I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud. (coughs) Will that guy ever be quiet? Uh. Answer the question. Knowing what I knew. No. No. And that was before the final call. Then I just kind of, well, you know, roll my eyes. Okay, whatever. But on the final call, I couldn't believe what I heard because it broke a rule that I learned in 1990 with Steve Kenyon doing a Dayton. No, it was McMinnville versus Glencoe football game. And um, uh, coach who who played Langsdorf, Danny Langsdorf was the quarterback for McMinnville. He went on to coach at Oregon State and then with the Giants and a whole bunch of other places. I don't know where Langsdorf is now. He was the quarterback. And they scored a dramatic touchdown and the crowd was going. And I was the analyst. I knew nothing about that. I didn't even think about that. I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. So I started talking. You know, I'm 23 years old. He looks at me. He's a lot older. Like, be quiet. (laughs) And during the commercial break, he explained it to me. You let things breathe, you da-da-da-da-da, and you let the play-by-play guy direct. Then in ensuing years, I would, I would be doing play-by-play. I'd get these young bucks that really wanted to do, make the same mistake I did. And I just learned, hey, play-by-play guy is in control. So you need to raise your hand or do something to cut off their mic, whatever, to make sure that the young pup doesn't just go crazy and start talking over all of the best of the moments of the drama. And, you know, that lesson's been with me for 33 years. I'm watching this, and then Romo just goes on. Now, he made a couple of mistakes. One, not only did he talk too soon, but he, he broke down the play. And it's like, dude, the game's over. You don't need to say what that play was because there isn't going to be another one. Mm. So if you're going to analyze it, you might say, wow, that was a great game. What a win and what a play. 
Nice touchdown. But he just started talking, and I've talked this entire time, so I'm breaking that rule. But I'll let you comment on this before we get into the audio. Honestly, when I was watching the game on Sunday, I, 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 I thought I would complain more about Romo, but I didn't. You know, I, I, I didn't think he did it. I didn't think overall for the game he did a terrible job, and I think that's what people were really worried about with this game because the first Super Bowl he did with Nance, the t- the Bra- the Pat uh, that was the 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 Brady Rams Super Bowl it was the combined sixteen points, just awful game. But Romo did a good job in that game because w- at the beginning of his career, when he essentially strong armed his way into the contract he currently has, mm-hmm. he was right out of playing quarterback. He knew all the players. He knew a lot of the current schemes and stuff like that. So he just, he knew everything and his predictions were spot on because he was again, so fresh coming out of it. It was so easy for him. It was so natural for him as the former quarterback. Yeah, I got that. I saw that play last year. Well, Romo hasn't been in the league in six, six years, yeah. right? Things have evolved. His prediction aspect <laughs> has gone out the window. And then we have situations now, like the final call after listening back to it, uh, or it just like if you're the if you're the main producer, I don't know who the main producer of CBS is, but if you're sitting there and listening back to to what the final call is, the, what you said of letting the moment breathe, there is absolutely none of that. And there are other calls on here where the announcers w- will let the game breathe a little bit, and it just man, I I don't even know the right the the right wording to use, but I I think people have kind of had it up to here with Tony Romo this season. And, you know, uh, it, eventually someone would probably need to make a decision, but like, let's hear the, let's hear the call and, and see what everyone's making a big fuss about. All right. Let me um, back it up here real quick. There we go. And turn that up. And here we go. Mahomes flings it. It's there. Hartman. Jackpot. Kansas city. And this was the Andy Reid special. This was the Andy Reid special. We talked about he was saving all day. He's going to fake a motion to go across. And at that moment, he turns and goes back. Hartman, who they didn't have, right? And they go get Hartman and bring him back. And the game-winning drive of Mahomes' career, he's been waiting for. He's won Super Bowls, but he's never had it in an overtime. He is the best. He is the standard. And Michael Jordan wins it again. Oh, man. So that was about half a second of breathing for Tony. And you notice, like, mid-call, like, Nance is, is getting the words out of his mouth that Mahomes is throwing to the end zone for the touchdown. Yeah. And you hear Romo going, Super I think he said what? Super Bowl? Some, that, so yeah, championship? Yeah, he, something. Something. he mumbled something. Yeah. You could hear it crystal clear. And he's just like, but he's waiting. He's waiting. He wants to jump yeah. out there and, yeah. and, and say something. And then he eventually only gets it, like, uh, like half the wording out. And then on top of that, I, I was listening to Brock and Salk this morning on the way in. Yeah. Uh, this is from their show yesterday, but I thought Brock, who does a lot, he's the number two color analyst on Fox, made a lot of really good points on this. He, is this, he essentially turned that mumbo-jumbo, which he said after the play, it was quote-unquote analysis, mm-hmm. but Brock was like, he's just doing talk radio. Yeah. Uh, following ants. Notice how many different tangents he went on on that, on that final call. First of all, the Kansas City special, which if you just listened to that in a vacuum, you'd, uh, you probably wouldn't have any idea what he was talking <laughs> the Andy, about. Andy Reid special. The Andy yeah. Reid special. What he is talking about is the Chiefs had a, a go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter of last year's Super Bowl on a very similar play to that. Mm-hmm. Kadarius Toney ran in and then ran back out on that same route, and this time it was Miko Hardman who did that, ran in towards the formation and then broke back out for Mahomes to hit him and sort of using the leverage of the defense. Anyways, 
So that's what he was referencing there. And then he goes to, oh, oh my God, they want a championship. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and then he goes, Patrick Mahomes, like, been a champion before, never done it before. In the over- uh, like, okay. Like, trying to get all these points in. And then he the, the cherry on top yeah. was when he brought up Michael Jordan at the end. And it's just, it just like he, he tied about five different things into one, and to one, to to one blurb, which, again, if we're going on the sports radio tangent, like that's what I do. We have to fill two hours. And we have, have, to, to, we have to provide entertaining right. program for, for two hours. But uh, the colorists do is like you say one thing, make your point. Like, but, just but make what is Jim Nance thinking when he's saying all this? First of all, I to me, that's either Nance's fault or a producer in their ears fault, because Romo's not. Hasn't done it long enough. All these athletes that do analysis mm-hmm. work, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Greg Olson's the best. But one of the things that, that dictates to whether you're good or bad is how well you read the room and yeah. how you, how well you work with your, how well you understand your role. And your role is not to sit there and talk all that much. And on a dramatic play like that, the play-by-play person is in control. So that's on Nance to literally anticipate that the guy you work with talks too much and, and literally either kill his mic with your finger on a button or hold your hand up and say, don't say a word. Your hand says, don't say a word. Let it breathe and then let Jim Nance say everything he's going to say and save what Romo said for a post-game analysis. Nance is kind of at fault here, too. That's what I'm saying. He's yeah, at fault he for not shutting so, a guy down who probably who has no idea he's not supposed to do that. So not only did he not do that, but Jim Nance had the opportunity. Like, Jim Nance has had the opportunity to voice his displeasure with how Tony Romo operates. And they're on separate contracts. They're not tied to one another. They don't CBS doesn't need to keep the two of them together. There's nothing bonding them together. But Nance came out before the Super Bowl and he was defending Tony Romo. He's well, defending he's falling on the sword for Tony. Right. He's being a good teammate. Sure. Right. But, you know, when Tony keeps doing stuff like this... Yeah, they have to have conversations. It's very hard to defend. And and Nance is sitting there thinking, it's like, man, I just nailed it. Overtime, Super Bowl game winner, the second ever. And Tony Romo is stepping all over the moment. Exactly. And I remember once, and again, this is nothing compared to what we're talking about. But it's kind of the same vein in that... I'm working with this young kid. We're doing a game. It was a playoff game, and it's, it's dramatic, da-da-da-da-da. Comes down to a game-winning field goal. Guy lines up, kicks it, you know, 40-yarder, high school in Oregon, kicks a 40-yard field goal, and while it's in the air, I'm doing play-by-play. He says, it's good. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him. I said, oh, I, you know, afterward, I'm like, great, great. You just did the play-by-play for me. What am I supposed to say? You know, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. You're not doing play-by-play. And that attitude and that kind of you know, Edge has to come from either a producer or Nance, mostly Nance, saying, Tony, I love you, but stop talking. Or don't talk here, or don't yeah. talk here. And on that one, which was the biggest stage, by the way, it was uh, the most, the most watched television show ever. By far. Yesterday was the most watched television show, not just Super Bowl. And you got all these eyes on it worldwide. And he, he does a high school mistake. Hmm. On a broadcast, and it had to kill Nance. It just yeah. had to kill. You him. had to wonder how many times they've tried to talk to Tony Romo about this, and he just hasn't listened. I w- w- we got to talk to Ellie Garcia, but after that, yeah, Chris Fowler was calling the game on ESPN ABC for the Australian New Zealand audience. Hmm. I thought they did a better job of letting that moment breathe. We can hear that after. And we, we talk also to Ellie. we also have the winning call on radio for Kansas City, and the losing call, which is great, on radio for the Niners. And we have uh, Harlan on Westwood One. One, and we and have Ian Eagle on the World 
cast on and NFL we'll, Network. We'll play all of those, and and uh, there's a few things that are different about them. In other words, on one of them, um, the guy just keeps doing play by play, and that's okay. He didn't let his own victory breathe. That's okay. But if you're on television, sometimes radio, radio and television. But I'm I'm more okay with a home guy doing the call. Oh my gosh, that they won, and then explaining things with that raised yeah. level of ah, ah, they won, they dis, they this, yeah. they that. Oh my goodness, this is great. Yeah. That's totally fine. But because it's the play-by-play guy's prerogative. But if you're doing television, especially, you absolutely let the let the TV speak for it and let it breathe. Okay. Um, coming up next, Ellie Garcia from Oregon State softball as they're out on the road for the first four or five weeks of the season, and they started off really well after struggling last year with most of their starters injured, and they came back and went 3-2 and two this weekend. So Ellie Garcia coming up next on 1240 Joe Radio. You know, it's funny. We got to, we're during the break. Just keep keep talking about that. There's so much to uh, to unpack with all of that. I look forward to getting to the rest of the audio on that whole thing uh, throughout the, the course of the show today. We've got other topics to get to as well, plus anything you want to chime in on. Uh, but right now, it's interview time, and we love getting players or coaches on the Joe Beaver Show, uh, especially if they're uh, Oregon State players, as we bring in Ellie Garcia, junior pitcher for the Oregon State softball program, uh, getting uh, some, some work, nine innings of work over the weekend this past weekend. Ellie, thanks for taking time out for us and joining us on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Tell us about tell us about the weekend. The season gets started. You guys are coming off of uh, last year where there were so many starters that were down. There was just nothing you could do about it, which was coming off of a uh, an appearance in the College World Series. I know you transferred in, but tell us about uh, you know your guys' preparation before the weekend. You go to Florida and have a really good outing, going three and two, and playing uh, some tough teams like Michigan and Florida. To uh, to one run ball games. Yeah, um, last year was really unfortunate with a lot of our starters being out. Um, luckily, I got some well needed experience, and we went out to Florida. We had a pretty good weekend, going three and two. Um, we need to win the close games, though. You know, those two games. Um, I'm sure we all wish that we could have back, but overall, we're ready. Um, I think we were prepared. And we showed that we're going to be a problem this year for a lot of teams. Ellie Garcia joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Ellie, this is TJ here with John. So, I mean, you guys had a really good five games worth of pitching in the circle. From what you've seen with uh, Sarah got uh, got a good bit of run after missing the, the latter half of last season uh, with injury and, and Logan, who just transferred in got some some innings as well. What have you seen from your guys' pitching here in the offseason and what was on display this first weekend? Yeah, our bullpen, this is the best bullpen I've ever been a part of. We're all very different in our own ways, but we're all very effective, and that's going to allow us to work together. And I think we saw that this weekend. Sarah came back, and she looked really strong coming back from injury. I'm really happy for her. She's a really hard worker. Logan coming in um, from Texas with a lot of experience. She definitely showed out. Um, she, and I think our bullpen, I think our stats show that we're, we're not here to play. We're here to win. And um, I think we proved that. Now, I know Laura brought back Marcy Green onto the coaching staff this uh, this past season after taking a year off. I don't think you, I don't think you got to work with Marcy because she wasn't with the program last year in your first year here. What kind of impact has she had? 
I think Coach Green brings a lot of experience. Um, obviously, she coached Mariah Mazzone to us, and that's the year that they went to the World Series. So I have a lot of respect for her. I think she really does her own thing. Um, we are able to have a lot of flexibility in our bullpens, but also she gives a lot of advice. I think she's a really great pitch caller, and she just has a lot of knowledge for the game. Ellie Garcia joining us. What, what was your biggest adjustment between last season and this season for you? I would say the mentality. I think um, the, all the experience I've had in my freshman and sophomore season, now going into my junior year mentally, this is the strongest I've ever felt. I feel that I'm ready. Um, I think mentally I'm in the right place to just go and dominate. And I think that's the biggest difference is I'm really confident in my stuff. And I really think that myself and the rest of our bullpen, that we could be anybody. Yeah. It, it didn't look like you, that nerves were a problem for you this weekend. In On Friday, in the very first game of the year, you get a couple innings and have four strikeouts and then six more strikeouts in a complete game versus Illinois State, 10 for the for the two outings, which is fantastic. Uh, did you feel like you, you were ready to go? There were no nerves? Yeah, um, I think the nerves have kind of gone away. They're always going to be there, but I have trusted the work that I put in. I feel like I've worked really hard all off season, and I tell myself that there's nothing to be nervous about, that I've put in the work, and now it's just time to play. And that's what Coach Berg tells us a lot, um, to just let loose, because we put in the work, so now it's time to dominate. So Ellie. that's kind of how I felt going into the weekend. Ellie Garcia joining us, pitcher on the Oregon State softball team. So you spent your freshman year at Nevada. Now in your second year here at Oregon State, why did you choose to come to Corvallis? I think Corvallis has a great atmosphere. I think a lot of people will say that. Um, I love the small town feel. I love that it's a college town. I think that the softball program, we compete at the highest level as well as the other sports. And it's just a really great place to be. There's so much support. Who wouldn't want to play for Coach Bird with all her Olympic gold medals? Um, we just I feel like we have the best coaching staff and just the best support team around us from our athletic trainers to our strength coaches to our coaches and all support. Do you recall what that recruiting conversation with coach Berg was like, like what, what, what was, what was her pitch to you and what, what really resonated? Yeah. I mean, coming from Nevada, I was definitely looking to come somewhere where I could compete in a power five conference and I wanted to play in the Pac 12 and coach Berg was at a place where they had a lot of injuries and they needed a pitcher. And, um, it was just a fit. I really wanted to come here. I had some teammates that I had already known that went here and um, just playing for Coach Berg and being able to play in the Pac-12 Conference, um, it was easy, I would say, for Coach Berg to get me here. Ellie Garcia, our guest, for just a few more uh, minutes here on the Joe Beaver Show. So you mentioned a couple of times compete at the highest level, Pac-12. Obviously, there have been some changes. As that unfolded and you're here, has that rattled you at all? Or do you like the idea that you'll still be able to, to be uh, on the West Coast, and your your family and people who would come to support you would certainly get to see you more often than if you were in a conference that had, had you travel into the East Coast. Yeah, um, I love Oregon State. I think that Oregon State is somewhere that's special, regardless of the conference that we're in. I think our circumstances are unfortunate because I think that our softball team deserves to play at the highest level possible. But I think it's important to understand that um, the West Coast Conference is temporary. And it will be in, uh, 
in play when I'm here. But I think it's looking forward to the future of Oregon State. Just it's something special to say that to be loyal and to um, be part of this historic time. Well, that's a great answer, especially the loyal part. But you also get you're, you're viable for the uh, you would be viable next year for the the uh, tournament. So. Uh, you still get to play at the highest level uh, at the end of the year. Ellie Garcia, a last thing from me real quick about the opening up in Florida. What was it like being over there? Did they travel well and bring a bunch of people for that game against Florida Friday afternoon? Did we or did they? Did they, because they're right there, and I know they they support their programs very well. Oh, yes. They had a huge fan base, but we could definitely feel loved. I don't think we were intimidated at all. I think, obviously, Florida has a very historic program. They have a lot of fans. They're, they play hard. Uh, their fans are there, and they make their presence known. But I think we came out, and we shocked to them, and we shocked to the rest of everybody that we're here to play. We're here to play with Florida, that we're not going to be intimidated. And um, it felt like, you know, we made that feel ours. Uh, we weren't intimidated by them at all. Ellie, we've gotten to learn a little bit about your pitching staff, and you said you think this is the best bullpen you've ever been a part of. What about the the offense on this Oregon State team? Who has really impressed you throughout the fall? And uh, as a cap to this question, who's the, the hardest at-bat you have to face when you're in practice? I would say, for sure, this is the, also the best offensive team I've ever been a part of. I think Lucy Campbell, obviously, um, she had two home runs this past weekend, and she's just a really hard worker. I would also say that she's the hardest out in practice. Um, we have Grace Mesmer. She plays for Team Canada as well. She's always a tough out. Um, Charity's back from injury, and she hit a home run this past weekend. And uh, Maddie Simon's back from injury. And we just have a whole lot of power. Abby Dore, obviously, um, with all her home runs last year. We have a whole lot of power. So we definitely have a very tough lineup. All right, you guys have uh, you get to stay a little bit closer to home. Go to Fresno, California. Take on uh, the likes of uh, St. Mary's and Fresno and Utah Valley. Good luck this weekend, and see what uh, see what you can come up with. Yeah, thank you so much. Really good to have you on the show. Thank you. That's Ellie Garcia joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. TJ, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue on. Get to a couple of texts, maybe, and then uh, get back into some of this audio that we were playing with. Really appreciate Ellie Garcia. Later to come at 12.05, Mike Gustafson, the CEO of College Baseball Foundation, also the um, analyst for Texas Tech Baseball, and he'll give us the breakdown. I really look forward to learning about what Pat Casey's involved with on Thursday night when he's going to be inducted into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. And Sila Heidi at 12.30 talking women's basketball. More to come right here on 1240 Joe Radio. All right, all right, as we continue here with the Joe Beaver Show, and boy, all kinds of things are going wrong here. Uh, again, thanks to uh, Ellie Garcia for helping us out there. That was a great conversation. She's, um, I like everything she said about loyalty and mm-hmm. Oregon State and, and uh, the reason for staying. I don't, I don't and, think this thing rattled her much. Yeah, and a lot of optimism coming to this team this year after a, a, a tough 2023 best Which, offense she'd ever been a part of and best bullpen as yeah. well and they've certainly showed it I and mean, they pitched very very well down in florida for weekend number one yeah i think this is going to be a good year for for softball last year you know you look at their record and they didn't they didn't do well at all but they lost everybody yeah they lost so much of their starting lineup to injury fairly early so it was um 
it was just a rough year answering going to the Women's College World Series, which is so difficult to do. So maybe they're all back, and this is another run, maybe certainly at least at uh, a higher finish in the conference mm-hmm. before the conference disbands. Mm-hmm. And if they can continue, like every other sport, TJ, if they continue to, like Scott Barnes says, we'll fund at Power 5, continue to do all that, and, and continue to get these great these great players going into another league that you might be able to dominate that league Mm -hmm. and no matter what, get yourself to the NCAA tournament and you're in and maybe even be, I don't know how it works. So how hard they would have to be or what they would have to be to host. I know they can, they're, they're physically tight and everything able to, but it would be tough because of the conference. Yeah. Yeah. The the RPI would, yeah. uh, I think Laura, when, when we had her on, couple weeks ago when you and I last hosted was 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 pretty upfront or it's like yeah. it is going to be brutal to try and host you, yeah. you just don't have the art your even if you win your RPA won't go up because you're not playing good enough exactly good enough competition unless they can load themselves up with former pac-12 opponents yeah. in the non-conference uh, yeah but, but even I'm even thinking the latter half of the <laughs> schedule when you're you're a month and a half two months away uh-huh. from non-conference if there's nothing you can do no. about your conference matchups on the weekend it's no. And it's tough. It loads up. You would literally have to be a top five team and then not lose. Yeah. That's tough. Uh, it's, it's tough. That's it's tough. tough. Uh, to the board we go. It is, of course, the uh, uh, University Honda text line, which is 541-497-5356. We've had a couple of people commenting on a few, a few things here and there. 541-497-5356. CVB writes in, uh, I hope you're saying most watched, meaning in the U.S. I don't think it hardly touches World Cup viewership, estimated around $1.5 billion for World Cup. Uh, obviously, we're talking yeah. about that. We didn't didn't specifically say yeah. it, but I guess we needed to. Crick, yeah, it's behind cricket too. But yes, we're, it, it was implied that this is the yes. United States, exactly. not not international. No, yes, it, it, exactly. So, I guess we should do that next time and make sure that everybody knows that. Okay, thanks, CVB, for but that. One hundred twenty three million, regardless, is still a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark in Corvallis says Langsdorf has been offensive coordinator at Temple since 2022. I knew when I mentioned Danny Langsdorf's name that someone would come up with where he's been. Great guy. Great guy, Danny Langsdorf. And he he uh, he coached here at Oregon State and for a number of years and then moved on. Went, first, he went to the Giants. And after that, eh, kind of got murky as to where he went. But it's good to know that he ended up at Temple has been the offensive coordinator there. Thanks for that, Mark. And then... Um, there was another one that said, I don't remember here where it is here, but they said, oh, it was Mark. He said, call the lawyer from Eugene. Alan, Alan Thayer, Alan, uh, that NIL news story that I read. I only read it once this morning on the Clue Morning Update because I was just like, I can't make Heidner hair of all of this. It's just a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. And what does it have to do with it? The, the word NIL and athlete and school is peppered throughout, but the rest of it. And I like to think I'm somewhat of a smart man, uh, Forrest, and I just could, I'm just like, what? What is this all for? So maybe we need to get Alan Thayer back. Yeah, that would be a, a good project for you and Mike. <laughs> okay. So who do we want to hear next? I think I have somebody queued up. Yeah. Uh, this is um, on the Romo stuff that we're talking about, but we're also talking about just the final call of the Super Bowl once you talk about criticizing one guy. Well, let's hear, hear what the other guys sound like. Here, this one I like. Uh, this is the 49er guy, and I don't know who it is, but... Uh, uh, Greg Papa is the 49ers <clears throat> play-by-play is, guy. Is, well, when we hear him, let's see, is yeah. this Papa? Because I, I don't know. Um, 
I like his call because it's kind of like, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, let me put this back to the beginning. There we go. All right, here it is. Uh, this is the, the uh, 49ers Kansas City touchdown. Seven seconds, six. They are going to snap it. Mahomes going to roll to his right, throws, touchdown. The Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. Nicole Hardman. As they roll Mahomes right, McCole Hardman is wide open. And the Chiefs win the Super Bowl back-to-back years. Another heartbreaking loss for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, that's Papa, obviously. Yeah. As soon as I heard that. Let, let's play the first part again. This is too good. Because it's just kind of, ah. Okay, hold on. They are going to snap it. Mahomes going to roll to his right, throws, touchdown. The Chiefs. <laughs> Have won the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, I feel kind of bad for Greg Papa because if we think about the last 11 years for the 49ers, they played in three Super Bowls. One of them, they were on the goal line, threw a, threw a fade on fourth down, missed, yeah. lost the Super Bowl to the Ravens. Second one, they were up 10 points in the fourth quarter to Patrick Mahomes four years ago. Oh, man. Lost. This this year, up, up 10 in the first half, lead in the fourth quarter, give up a game-tying drive at the end of the game, give up a go-ahead drive in overtime, lose the Super Bowl, and Greg Papa called all three of those. And that's that's, that's, that's brutal. But he nailed it. He did exactly what the, the road guy should do, a, a downtrodden voice. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl back-to-back times. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can't believe Patrick Holmes did it again. <laughs> okay, this was, I like this guy too. I don't know his name, uh, local guy in Kansas City. I've, I've heard a lot of his stuff. Obviously, when Kansas City being as good as they are, this guy with the uh, the radio win. Thirteen seconds to go in the overtime. Twenty-two to nineteen, San Francisco. McKinnon is in at running back. First down and goal to go. Play action fake. Right side throw. Touchdown, Kansas City. McCall Hardman. McCall Hardman with the catch on the right side. A three-yard touchdown pass in overtime. Kansas City wins the game, 25-22, and the Chiefs' kingdom has started its own history class because for the first time in 6,944 days, there is a back-to-back Super Bowl champion, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs. He had that number written out. It was sitting there on his board. I know he wrote that in there pregame to make sure. So uh, a little backstory because it's similar. I was going to say the end of that call sounds very similar to Dave Sims calling Felix Hernandez's perfect game where at the end of that call, he said 34 years, 119 days. The Mariners had existed as a franchise and never had a perfect game thrown until Felix did it in 2012. And it's very similar to that. Hey, 20 years, this many days since Tom Brady and Bill Belichick won back-to-back Super Bowls in 2004. So there's a couple of things here. On the uh, Felix Hernandez thing, if you go into a game, you don't know a guy's going to pitch a perfect game, so he had to have he was, he was talking with the producer. Right, yeah. right, and, and in between innings go, hey, we, we need to figure this out, yeah. and then do it as the game unfolds. Right. Whereas if you're in a Super Bowl, uh, and you know Mike and I have talked about this, if you get to the pinnacle game, there is discussion amongst colleagues, amongst friends who are play-by-play guys, to the guy who has the job. Hey, are you going to think this out? Or are you going to do it off the cuff? If if this miraculous thing happens, 
And some guys say, I'm just going to do what happens. And some guys say, no, I think I'm going to come up with something. Mm. And you don't really shy away. It's not, it's not a crime to be a play-by-play guy and have written out. You like to present it in a way that you just came up with it. Now, that one, you, you made the point. There's no way. He just looked yeah. that up. I mean, that clearly was there, but he may have just had that alone and there, not thought about that. There the other is stuff. one more. There's one. I'll say there's one point in there where it did sound like he kind of made it up. The Chiefs are in their own history class. I mean, yeah, that again, not to, a little... critique, not to critique, but didn't sort of flow as well. They've right. written their own chapter. Right, and and I did. I thought it was weird. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, again, I, he's, I, excited. he's excited. He's excited. Like, the yeah, emotion like, of it. It's like, you know, you know try, to be, try to be cute, and you try and fail. But it, clearly, I like this call. The, the play-by-play was immaculate. He yeah, did a and, great job. And, and you, you didn't even hear a breath from an analyst. Color. Not even a breath, which is the way it's supposed to be. This, yeah. is, this is the play-by-play man show not the analyst show. Mm. And I know Romo and these guys are getting paid a lot. I'm sorry. It is the play-by-play guy first, first. There are analysts in in the NFL and and in college as well who, when that play like that happened, you'll hear, oh, Oh, right in the middle of the play. It's the worst thing in the world. the play-by-play guy just wants to go, "Mm." Or, or some guys that'll go, 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 while the play-by-play guy is going. Now, it's the worst. This is a heartbreaking moment for me, but I don't know if you remember Steve Rabel's call of the Mount- Malcolm Butler interception. Warren Moon was doing the color for the Seahawks back then, and you can hear him scream in the middle of the call. Yeah. Just like that. But sometimes it's worse than that, because Warren, like he, he screamed and then he stopped. But a lot of guys will go like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, while yeah. the play-by-play guy is trying to talk. Yeah. Just like, god. You just, stop. You have to. You have to hold your hand up, and it's their job to control. Them. Or you tell the analyst, "Put your headset down." Right. Right. Put it down. So we heard the loss, the win. We heard CBS. How about Chris Fowler? Chris Fowler. Okay. Before you hit play on Chris Fowler, I'd like to just give a little background. So first of all, he's calling it for ESPN, ABC, because that's who he works for. But this being broadcast in Australia, New Zealand. But I thought they did a better job on this broadcast. It was Chris Fowler, Lewis Riddick, and Dan Orlovsky. They did a better job of letting the moment breathe. Clock running inside 10 seconds. They have two timeouts. Can they win it right here? Mahomes on the move. Goes. Touchdown. Kansas City wins! Nicole Hardman! Unbelievable. He's the best player I've ever seen in my life. Unbelievable. Mahomes magic! Cements his own legacy. I don't know. It was a little bit better. I thought, like, I you probably could have done better than just Lewis Riddick and Darren Orlovsky saying unbelievable. Like, because that's not really analysis. You probably don't need to say that in that moment. No, it's an emotional thing. It, it, was, uh, it was sort I'm of kicking okay. it, but there was at least a little bit of moment breathing in yeah. that. We oh, could hear yeah. the crowd. No, there was a lot there. A lot of, but, you know, there's still, they did a better job. Than, yeah. than that. Let, I want to. Can we get to the last one before the top of the hour? Which one, Harlan? The uh, Iron Eagle. I like the Iron Eagle one a lot. All right, here we go. Mahomes on the move. Touchdown! McCall Hardman. The Chiefs are Super Bowl champions again. No, I thought that was the best one. Well, now hold on. It goes on again. No, that was, no, that yeah. was great. I thought that, that was, was the best great. one. Dude, was he by himself or did he have? He one? had analysts, but the the clip that I found was not. It, it didn't yeah. have the analysts on there. No, that that was good. There, all of them were good except for the, except for Romo. 
that that really hurt. I don't know, Jim. All right, we're done. We've got more coming up in the next hour. Stick with us. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise, would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! 20, 15, 10, 5! Touchdown, Beaver! Back in the end zone! Caught! Touchdown, Beavers! The Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren. Two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool beat, beat, kill me. 1240 Joe Radio. Into hour number two of the Joe Beaver Show. We'll connect with Mike Gustafson of the College Baseball Foundation here in a matter of moments. TJ Matthewson and John Warren here on a Tuesday. Mike's on the road. He'll be back on Thursday. Tomorrow, we'll get a little bit more into Beaver baseball directly with this year's team. We'll have Tanner Smith at 1130 tomorrow. Also a conversation with Louis Quintana at 1205 tomorrow. Coming up later in the hour, Sela Heidi from the Oregon State women's basketball team. Tanner's a good get. That's a good get because he'll be behind behind the plate Mm -hmm. and uh, just one of many offensively in a cog that uh, high expectations this year, really high expectations for Oregon State going into the season that starts on Friday against New Mexico. I'm excited about this, and TJ, you did a great job uh, coming out with uh, being able to track down Mike Gustafson, whom we bring into the show. Um, Mike, of course, is... um, Director Emeritus and works and, and one of the creators of uh, college fo- college fo- or college baseball foundation in Overland Park and now help us out with you know all of what you're doing but really we want to get you on to talk all about the the new facilities what we can expect or what Pat can expect Thursday night and a few other things so welcome to the Joe Beaver Show Mike well thank you thanks for having me yeah I uh, I was part of a group of friends in 2004 that created the college baseball foundation really um as a as an entity to support the brooks wallace award which is an award now given to the top shortstop in the country and you guys as soon as i say that the name goes blank um in 2017 had the winner of the brooks wallace award nick madrigal yep there say that no no we'll think of that in a minute i don't Mm -hmm. want to kill the interview well this year it'll be Uh, travis bazana (laughs) oh i like that well this will be shortstop not second is bazana moving over uh, no, he'll be at second. Were you no, talking about shortstop? Yeah, it would be Elijah then this year if it would be a beaver. Yeah. All right, perfect. I like that. I like the attitude. We'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But, yeah, we created the Brooks Wallace Award to honor the nation's top shortstop, and then somewhere in there thought, you know what, there's not a college baseball Hall of Fame honoring players and coaches. Of course, the ABCA honors coaches only, and uh, and we've you know been seeking a facility um 
for a long time and, and, uh, you know, we're kind of survived through COVID and did all that. I've been inducting Hall of Fame classes since 2006. And then, uh, you know, uh, I guess a month or so ago, because we've been working on it for over a year, but Overland Park stepped up with their commitment to a facility and, and, uh, you know, just to become the permanent home of the facility for the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. And here we are. Um, hand in hand with that is them hosting the uh, College Baseball Night of Champions, which is the event that uh, really the induction event for the Hall of Fame, but also the um, the, um, the presentation of our College Baseball Awards, the Brooks Wallace Award, National Pitcher of the Year, which Luke Heimlich, Heimlich won that a, couple, uh, a few years back, and oh, the other left-hander, well, last year was pitching in the Cardinals organization. Oh, Cooper, ago. Cooper Jerpy. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, Cooper Jerpy. Yes, I'm going blank on names. No problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, you know, and John Olroot Award, that kind of stuff. And so all of that is folded into one night or basically two nights of activities. And, uh, boy, it was, uh, you know, great to see Coach Casey in this class and uh, re- really a no-brainer. Um, I, I kind of wish he was still coaching just because he's, you know, such a big part of the history of the game. And mm-hmm. he's r- relatively young in my book for someone that got out when he did. But, my goodness. Uh, so very deserving to have his name listed with the Skip Bertmans and Chris Gustafsons and Rod Dados and all those types. And so, uh, you know, he, he's got a fun two days ahead of him. And I think today is his travel day. So hopefully he's, he's settling in and over in park and uh, getting ready to enjoy this. Mike Gustafson, our guest, the uh, uh, Director Emeritus College Baseball Foundation, former president and CEO. So you've had awards, you've had uh, Hall of Famers, you say since 2006, and you're just now finishing and putting together the the facility. If you is the facility ready to, for for fans to go through and see things like busts and and gloves and things like that? No, definitely not. Now we've collected artifacts since 2006, and we've collected oral histories, but. Um, the uh, exhibit space, what Overland Park has provided is basically an 8,500-foot beautiful room in which that's going to go. And so the last of the fundraising is in place to uh, put the exhibits in, and hopefully by late 25, I think is the answer to your question, well, there will be an opportunity to get people through that room and see, see what you and I are thinking of in terms of the Hall of Fame. Is there uh, Mike Gustafson joining us? How mu- is there any inspiration drawn from Cooperstown of what the layout will be? Absolutely. By the way, the guy I was trying to think of earlier, Caden Grinier. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he won it in twenty eighteen. Brooks Walsworth. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I think that's the general idea. You know, exhibits uh, exhibits from three dimensional stuff, and in fact, in the room um, t- tomorrow night and and uh, um, and uh, Thursday night will be. Uh, it, we sent a, a smattering of our of our uh, collection, and that that involves stuff like Chris Bryant's uh, jersey at at uh, the University of San Diego, and you know Alex Bregman spikes, and uh, you know that that kind of three those kind of three dimensional artifacts. Uh, but then to also be able to utilize some of the archival stuff, we've sat down with every inductee and just about every award winner since 2006 and and it's it's great that we did that back then or had the foresight and the people around us that said hey let's do this because you know as 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 you know as you would expect 18 years in we've had a bunch of those early inductees that have passed on but we've got a 45 minute to an hour long interview with 
you know, Cliff Gustafson, who passed away a year ago, not not related to me, but mm-hmm. guys like that that can talk about Roger Clemens when he was a sophomore in college, you know, and all the stories and all that stuff. And so hopefully we can bring some of those sort of interviews and stories to life with, the you know, with touch screens and that kind of thing that uh, allow the college baseball fan, you know, to, to be able to walk through there and learn a little bit about the game. Because I think we would all go in there looking for, hey, where's the stuff on my guy? my team, you know, that's or my region or my conference or whatever, but we would want this to be something that embraces all of college baseball. And over the years, we've, we've incorporated HBCUs with our Black College Legends and Pioneers Committee. We've honored umpires. And so, you know, really trying to encompass all of college baseball, even small school coaches and players, so that uh, there's something there for everybody. When someone reads up on the opening of this College Baseball Hall of Fame in Overland Park, uh, Kansas, just outside of Kansas City, they are going to see one of the notable investors in this Padre, uh, project as none other than the guy who won the Super Bowl on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes. Where did that? Where did his involvement in this all begin? You know, it was one of the things that Overland Park did really well is um, because we've, we've had these conversations with different host cities over the years, but Overland Park did a really good job of, you know, I'm out here in West Texas, so I'm going to say circle in the wagon. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, um, you know, to, to really, uh, to really bring to the table, the mayor, the Lieutenant governor, um, corporate leaders, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, somewhere in there, there was access to, I think Patrick's foundation, um, and, and this, the presentation was made, and he made it. He made a pretty substantial gift, and which is really cool because. Uh, and again, I'm coming to you from well, of Texas and West Texas, and I'm a Texas Tech Red Raider, and so uh, that that thing's you know the the Mahomes connection is pretty cool in, in that respect. But he's uh, you know I, I think somewhere in there the 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 fact that that sort of the core group that helped create this thing, and that our first thing that we did was the Brooks Wallace Award. It, you know, Brooks Wallace played at Texas Tech, you know, way back in the 70s before he died from cancer, you know, at a really young age. It's just some of those things I think may have connected with Patrick. I, I don't know, but certainly the work of, uh, you know, the people in Overland Park is the most important part of it. And, uh, you know, to, to get him involved, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing and timely. And I think it's a pretty good indication of what kind of person he is that he knows he has baseball in his background, but he also knows, hey, this would be something good for the, community and for the area and so we you know made the gift really cool okay so thursday night i know we're running out of time you have to go but thursday night pat casey what can pat expect is he presented by someone a close person and then he speaks or how does that going to work yeah yeah he, he uh there, there'll be a little minute long tribute video to him um um that uh, you know, kind of in in one minute, tries to provide a synopsis of, of his career, which is impossible. But you know how that that kind of at a banquet, and then uh, the main the main part of it is an on stage interview with him and the guy who's uh, in in CRMC this year is uh, the voice of of Kansas, the University of Kansas athletics. His name's Brian Haney. And Brian will do a brief interview with him and just try to get him, you know, get him talking and maybe get some stories out of him and that sort of thing. And it'll be a really brief three or four minute video. But the other thing we'll do with him, and in fact, it's something I was working on earlier, is prepping for an oral history with Coach Casey. And hopefully he and I can sit down either tomorrow afternoon or Thursday morning and get an hour's worth of stories 
on 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 film and on recording. But yeah, he'll he'll be part of a group of what I think eleven or twelve inductees, and I think uh, maybe two or three deceased in that group. But you know, he's he's going to be part of a group with Ron Darling, and you know, I mean, it's, it's it's a good group. Steve mm-hmm. Kemp and. Um, again, umpires and black college legends and all the things. So yeah, it's a, it's a great group, and I think uh, you know he's certainly a headliner in this class, no doubt. Last thing from me, Mike. Uh, something we have not mentioned yet is that you are also the radio analyst for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. The Beavers and Texas Tech will face off in Arlington a week from tomorrow. What are the Beavers up against with the Red Raiders this season? Yeah, I think that's such an interesting matchup, and I think Coach Tadlock talked about it on our end. That you guys, the Beavers, are coming to Arlington, I guess, in week two. I think you're opening with New Mexico week one, mm-hmm. and um, you guys were looking for games. Um, and uh, the fact that we're we're opening, and, and I'm saying we, you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, Texas Tech, the Beavers, <laughs> we're we're opening down there this weekend. Uh, at one of their the Shriners classics, and I think it's uh, going to play the Ducks and going to play Nebraska and Tennessee, and then we're going to we're going to hang around. I think the Beavers are coming in a day or two early to get that game on on Wednesday. We're also going to play a game on Tuesday, so, so for us it'll be five games in six days, and and, uh, and for you guys it'll be the front end of your weekend down there. And uh, you know, as, as far as Tech's concerned. Um, of course, obviously, we'll be in a in a midweek pitching scenario as as will the Beavers, and so that that part will be interesting. And probably be some guys making collegiate debuts and whatnot. But I think if you were going to point to a strength of this team, it's it's probably just veteran veteran hitters and, and a veteran offensive core that's returning. And uh, you know, there's a couple of front line pitchers that'll probably pitch on the weekend against Tennessee and maybe the Ducks and 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 the Huskers. Probably a fairly typical scenario yeah. there. Um, but yeah, a good veteran catcher there, uh, first baseman. They had 25, 26 home runs last year. That, that's here, and so it'll be. You know, we'll see. That they feel really good about the names behind their offense, and then some of the pitching and who's going to close games. And I'll be a little less certain. <laughs> hey, last thing. Really appreciate your time. Have you crossed paths with our own Dan Spencer, former Red Raider and Beaver? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked about him. Um, um, he he and I actually played at Texas Tech together briefly, and then uh, you know we kind of stayed in touch over the years. I knew what he was doing as a pitching coach for Coach Case and and winning rings and doing all the things back in the aughts. And then he was here for four years, and I was doing radio with Spence, and so he and I still text a couple times a year. And I think he's in Linfield now, yeah. isn't that right? Yeah, right up the road. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, <laughs> it's yeah, really really cool connection there. And, uh, when he was here, you know, as a head coach, his his oldest son and my son were in school together, same age and all. So, uh, you know, we we really connected over the years, had some good times. In fact, I thought about it the other day during a Super Bowl. I was like, I remember watching a couple Super Bowls over at Spencer's house. But, uh, <laughs> we love Spence yeah, here. We love him. Yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. And uh, you could you could have one hundred percent tell him I said hi if you, if you get him on the show absolutely. sometime or whatever, run into him. But he's. Uh, yeah, good dude, and I'm you know super happy for all of his success. And uh, that's you know, awesome around here. But shoot, life's good. Life's well, good. We really appreciate your time. We, we you know obviously the best of luck and everything to Pat on Thursday night. And and one more thing before you go, don't don't forget when you're looking for things to put into 
to the Hall of Fame. The 2017 season where the Beavers did the entire regular season with only four losses. That's, that's got to mean something for the yeah. Hall of Fame. Oh, no doubt. There's, <laughs> there's no question about that. And what a special group. We're talking about two national national position honors there and, and Heimlich, Heimlich and Grenier. And, I mean, that's yeah. a special group there, man. Mike, no great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. And say hi to Pat for us when he gets down there. Absolutely. You say hi to Sam. Absolutely. There you go. That's uh, Mike Gustafson, who is a director emeritus, former president and CEO. He basically created the whole college baseball foundation there in Overland Park where they've got new facilities. And good job chasing him down. He was fun. And and connections. Uh, I, I didn't realize that he had played. I thought maybe when I quickly looked up Spence's time in, in Lubbock, and it's like, hmm, yeah, maybe maybe they played together. So he said they did. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Pat and, and uh, what he's going to do. We didn't have time because he needed to get out. And I wanted to ask him, and, and Mike you know, talked about this too, a little bit about the decision on when to have the, the – uh, uh, the the festivities, yeah. but you know you're only talking about a handful of. It depends on who's still alive and who's doing who's active and what, as far as allowing because they do this the night before the regular season. Then someone like a Mitch Canham or or Ryan Gibson who played for Pat can't be there to support him, and you mm-hmm. know that a lot of their his former players would be there. Mm-hmm. It stinks, but uh, you know timing. Uh, I'm sure they put a lot of thought into oh, when yeah. the best time for yeah, this thing yeah. should be. And unfortunately, the time that was spit out was right now. Really cool stuff, though. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was doing something here on the board and half listening when he said, I didn't hear him say shortstop. And, and so I just r- rattled off uh, Madrigal. But no, he was talking shortstop. Well, that's Caden Grenier. Yeah. And he got his name right, not Grenier. It's yeah. Grenier. So good. Studies up. Good for him. Good for him. Great stuff, TJ. Thanks for getting him. Um, that was uh, Mike Gustafson, College Baseball Foundation. Let's take a break. We'll come back for a short segment on a few other things. And then, uh, actually, no, we'll keep it right here for about five or six more minutes and then take a break going into Sela Heidi from Oregon State Women's Basketball to, uh, to finish out, uh, well, not finish out the show, but uh, for a 1230 interview. Uh, great stuff there. College baseball, very excited for that. I'm I'm excited to to see all the games. You know who who in the league is where. I didn't know Oregon was going down there to mm-hmm. to play them. And yeah, they they got a couple of uh, a couple of 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 tournaments down there in the Arlington area. I'm I I don't I'm not like a huge fan of them having a college baseball tournament in the Rangers Stadium. Like the Rangers Stadium is the least college baseball stadium I've ever seen in my life. How I? It's too big. It's 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 enormous. There's a lot of like a lot of seats. There's uh, like the 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 dimensions are enormous. Mm. It's indoors. Like all the all the things that you think that make Goss Stadium great. It's Mm -hmm. intimate. the the stand The stadium is big, big enough where it sells out. Yeah, the environment is good. Everyone's on top of the field. Right, right. They're, you know, smell burgers and beer and all this stuff on a, a great place to spend a weekend. It's outdoors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you go to the Rangers Stadium. It's you know, it's indoors. It's like I, I like to compare it to a Costco. If you walk in well, there, you it's know, like, we were in Seattle a few years back in 2018. That was kind of fun. It was freezing cold. Did you think that was a good college baseball environment? Not really. Yeah, the the, the batter's eye was messed up because. Of the big S that was out, they could not fix it. So you're looking at white. 
hmm. in the background for the batter's eye because it was something they would change when the Mariners were playing. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Something that would be covered up that wasn't, that gave you a white batter's eye, which mm-hmm. you don't want that. It- uh, but other than that, and it was freezing cold. Yeah, and they I keep mean, the, they keep the windows open in that press box too. Not yes, yeah. and I literally was was freezing. <laughs> I mean, you needed a heater type yeah. freezing cold. Yeah, and um, my I don't even know if we were married at the time. Were we married? No, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, heard me on the radio. Somehow, she literally talked her way in without paying and brought me a couple of blankets and and something else because it was like. <laughs> Like arctically freezing yeah. cold, and all these other media people had little mini mini um, heaters, and I never got the memo. I I just assumed it was a closed in thing. The whole thing was wide open, and I yeah. swear it was the coldest thing. That was when uh, Joe Casey hit the hit it here Your cafe, cafe yeah. home run, and I got criticized for not being excited enough on the call. <laughs> Damn um, it, John! Uh, Dave uh, from Tumwater, I believe, went and got the ball and gave it to Pat. Wow. If I remember uh, that story correctly, we had this conversation though when we were talking about stadium location too, of like where the Rangers stadium is, and how I said I wasn't like a huge fan of where they put it. Yeah, the access to fans that even the Rangers in Market what Dallas is Market Five. Five yeah, they st- they're like sixteenth in attendance because <laughs> that's terrible. it's just hard to get there. Yeah, it, it it's although it's, it's got it's out of the way. You you think though? Don't tell me tell me this though. The thought process is by being out out somewhere there's enough space to have parking like sure you can all drive to the location in your car and do the parking thing rather than deal with no parking to get to a stadium in a, in a downtown area, that's the thought mm, process. Yeah, right or it, wrong, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not always the biggest fan of that because you remember when we talked about the the um, when we talked about uh, the 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 Red Hill the 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 Portland Diamond Project location. And I was right. like, well, if you just say, oh, you can only drive here, that sort of cuts out a, a big portion of the fans. Lifestyle in Texas is different than lifestyle here. There's much more public transit here than there is in Dallas and Dallas-Fort Worth, which is mm-hmm. about as spread out of a metro area as you possibly can get in the U.S. But still, uh, venturing out that far into Arlington to get to a baseball game is not the most convenient, especially when it's a now a college baseball game with multiple fan bases staying all over the place to try and trek out there. Are there any hotels near that place? I'm sure there are, but not like within walking distance. Well, I I, kind of like the idea of of one time a year going to a major league park for a a tournament that involves a lot of really good teams. Mm Mm-hmm. It was fun doing those games in Seattle. There were some good teams. Coastal Carolina, Indiana. I'm um, trying to think of who else was there. That was kind of it's, fun. It's cool to see. Yeah, it's cool to see. I'm, I'm more thinking of the of the fans who are going down yeah. there. For, I mean, for, you know, they have to play in, in some warmer weather, but there are uh, some, you got you to you gotta, yeah. you gotta open your wallet and, Our and pay, Dougie, to go to, pay, pay to go to two different spots. Our own Dougie normally goes to a Surprise, mm-hmm. and he chose to eschew that and go to Arlington. And yeah, by the so, way, yeah. a lot of people don't know this. They were There was going to be a tournament, I want to say two years ago, maybe three years ago, a same thing in Arlington, and the teams were all chosen. In fact, there was a logo that was drawn up, everything. And this was back when I was doing games, and I thought, oh, well, we're going to go to Arlington. That'll be fun. And then it got banged. I don't remember if it was because of COVID or or what this thing was. They they put it off a couple of years, and now here it is. Mm-hmm. And now the lineup is is great. I mean, it is a phenomenal set of teams that they're going to yeah. play down there. I just think it kind of kills the environment. 
I just think I think I think it could be better. I think you if, are if, partially right and partially wrong. Like the Big Twelve, the, I think the Big Twelve plays its conference tournament there. And I, uh, Kendall Rogers, he lives in Texas. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the tournament he covers every single season. And even he, I've seen him say like it just kind of kills the environment when you're in this cavernous, yeah. wide open, well, especially MLB for stadium. Tournament. Which just like college baseball cannot draw those crowds, so yeah. like you need to you need to adapt for the crowd. Well, it's pretty good crowds in Seattle because of you know the close proximity to Portland and all that, but still it was it was too cold, too cold. Sela Heidi coming up next. We'll talk women's basketball. They've got a couple of huge games this weekend. Every game is huge now. When you've only got three losses, you're twenty and three. Are you kidding me? Every game becomes huge. Anyway, Sela Heidi joins us next here on the Joe Beaver Show on twelve forty Joe Radio. We continue here on the Joe Beaver Show on this uh, Tuesday, and uh, really excited to bring in a young player who has uh, who grew up in the Pacific Northwest and has such an, an an endearing and interesting tie to Oregon State but not only that is an outstanding basketball player it's just so fun though to highlight the connection with the school for me anyway but I don't want to take away from all of your accomplishments as we bring in Sela Heidi uh, on the Oregon State women's basketball team Sela thanks for coming on the show how you doing thank you Good. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I got TJ here with me, and uh, we're, we're real happy that you could make some time before this weekend's big games against UCLA and, and USC. Let's just get the, the connection thing out of the way. I just revealed to you uh, off the air that uh, I called your mom's senior season games, and Mike called your dad's senior season games, and here you yeah. are now in college. So <laughs> time stops for no one. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> did, you, did you grow up coming down to Oregon State for games all the way from Washington? Yeah, um, we would come down frequently for alumni weekends, especially when Coach Scott had hosted them. Um, so I would come down with my mom, and we would watch games for a whole weekend. And then for a long time, while the Pac-12 tournament was held in Seattle, we would be there every year, um, multiple nights out of the week, watching games. Now, do you have siblings, or are you the only basketball player? What, what's the family situation? I'm the oldest of four, so there's me, and then I have a brother whose name is Miles, and he plays at San Diego State for their men's basketball program. Mm-hmm. And I have a younger brother, Liam, who's 15, and a younger sister, Scarlett, who's 11, and they both play basketball as well. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. it kind of just happened that way. <laughs> <laughs> and is every are all the siblings tall like your parents? Oh yeah, um, I'm six 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 seven. Yeah, and then my brother Miles is just about six ten now. My brother Liam grows every time I see him, so I think he's probably about six six now. And then my sister Scarlett is tall for her age too. I don't know exactly how tall she is, but yeah. taller than every other sixth grader at her school. That's really cool. Sela Heidi. Okay, so that takes me to the next question, and that is, do you feel like, it, I, can, I can almost answer this question, did you feel like you were raised right when it comes to non-helicopter, like they left you alone? Because that there's a lot of potential there for some great times, in, and also for paying your way with scholarships, with all of yeah. your kids being tall. And you would think that, you know, mom and dad having played at the high level would be all over you. How was it growing up as far as the expectations for whether you play basketball or not? 
the expectations for basketball in particular weren't super high. Uh, my parents wanted us to all find a sport that we were passionate about and just learn the lessons of hard work and dedication. Um, we kind of all chose basketball on accident, really. They didn't really force us to play or anything. We just kind of all found the same love for the game and have all grown to love it. And all of us have worked really hard to be where we are. Even my sister, who is on her sixth grade select team, works her butt off. So it's been really fun to watch did, all of my siblings kind of follow after me. Did you go to your parents and your, your brother to your dad? Either parent, it doesn't matter. Did you go to them for for uh, tips or, or, or anything to play that position, the post position, because, you know, you both parents played post and you at, at all your heights, mm-hmm. of course, you're going to be post players. Did you go to them or, or was it, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes, Sila, a little kid, about your 11 year old might say to their parent who's done it at a high, high level. Well, that's not right. what my coach says. You know, and I, I liken that to, you know, it's almost a rite of passage that Michael Jordan's son probably said that to Michael Jordan. That's not what my coach says. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we were all stubborn teenagers at once and didn't want to hear from them. But uh, as I got older, when I was younger and then as I got older towards end of high school and college, I definitely turned to them a lot of times, um, especially when I got into college, just because. The, the game is so different, and the mental grind and the physical grind is so different, and they had a lot of good insight as I've gotten older, so they've been really supportive and helpful in that aspect. Sila Heidi joining us. You mentioned how often you came down here and, and saw the Oregon State program at the at the Pac-12 tournament, and you said you know Scott was ushering a lot of that with, with his uh, alumni weekends. When did your connection with Scott Ruick start? Oh, I think I met Scott... I must have been in 7th or 8th grade, so 2014, 2015, I think, Mm. is when I first met him. Um, I mean, all three of his kids were still tiny, and then now I'm back, and it's kind of crazy to see them grown up. And um, I mean, I'm a totally different version of myself now than I was in 8th grade when I first came to visit. Sure, sure, absolutely. Sila Heidi joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. It's so fun. Your mom, by the way, had a really high shot off the glass. I, I, I always remember that. High off the glass. And at the time, she had set the shot block record. I continued calling the games, and Brina Cheney, another player from, yes. uh, from Washington, she broke your mom's record, and, of course, it's been broken since. But uh, fun, fun to, to think about your mom's game and to watch your game as well. And I, I love to compare the two, but, um, yeah, just, just really neat stuff. Now, as a team, let's talk about this weekend and what you just came from. Do you guys yeah. get held in check pretty much so your heads don't get too big when you're succeeding? Because so much success has come your way as with a 20-3 and three record and such great defense this last weekend. Yeah. What, what's the, the stage of the, the, the mindset of the team coming into another big weekend? Are you guys at business as usual, or do you guys kind of walk around thinking you're, you're, you're pretty big stuff? Uh, business as usual for us. I mean, yesterday, we had yesterday off. And I think we all knew that um, what we needed to do this weekend was going to be to just play great defense, and especially on the road, that's super important, and to just stay focused um, and committed to the game plan, and we were able to pull that off. So we had yesterday off, and now today's business, as usual, we have weights and practice, and we'll 
watch what we did this weekend and then get into what we have to do this weekend. What did you take away from your first weekend against the L.A. schools and what you guys need to do better this weekend? Um, I think we've just completely grown as a team since that weekend. I mean, that was definitely a tough trip to be taking for our first full weekend of Pac-12 play. Um, L.A.'s on the road. It was a tough weekend, but I think we're ready to to have them in Gill and have them in our home atmosphere. And I think that our defense has just become absolutely phenomenal since then and it's gotten so much better and the way that we've been scoring the ball recently has been unstoppable so we're really excited speaking of post players we talked a lot about post players today a teammate of yours just one pac-12 player of the week as a post player what's it like watching reagan beers play basketball reagan is phenomenal she is first of all one of the kindest sweetest person people i've ever met in my entire life and she is just dominant on the floor. Um, she's become really focused about her position, and she's gotten really good about scoring around and over people rather than through them. And getting to watch her grow and playing against her every day is just awesome. And she's also one of the best teammates that anyone could ever ask for. You might get some time this week against Lauren Betts. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Yeah, there aren't too many six, seven players uh, out there, and you know, for for you to be in there and, and uh, you know, match height for height, um, I, you make the most of every minute that you get. So uh, this is, yeah, this will be a good weekend for you and, and big crowds be. and everything. All right. Well, Sila, Heidi, really a pleasure to uh, to talk with you and, and uh, get to know you a little bit and give you a little kind of a framework of who's yes. who's still here. And it's like, okay. And, and Mike, of course, calling Jason's games. That was yeah. To me, it seems like yesterday, but it was uh, 25 years ago. <laughs> Best of luck this weekend. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll, we'll be there on, on the weekend to watch both these games. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Go Beavs. Awesome. And hope to see everyone in Gill this weekend. Absolutely. There, there go. you go. Sela Heidi joining us for for a couple of minutes. Two huge games coming up. You know, they, they competed well on, the, on that first road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a... It was one of those, you say to yourself, gosh, I'd like to do that again, and you get to. And right now, they're playing so much better than they were at that point. And it gives you every indication that that that, that they will. I mean, you could be that confident. They don't want, yeah. you know, the last thing Scott Root wants is his team walking around. It's like, yeah, we got this. Right, no. We, we, we got the. It's already done. Like, no, yeah, well, it do. needs to be done, but... There's no shame in being confident in what the what this team has done. Not at all. Uh, by the way, yesterday came out just around the time of the Joe Beaver show. South Carolina, we talked about it a little bit, but South Carolina number one, no surprise there. Um, Stanford number three, and then look at this for the Pac-12: Colorado eight, UCLA nine in this week's poll, USC ten, Oregon State eleven. They jumped up six spots, more than any other team, jumping in the polls this week. This was an interesting. It's not over yet. It's we've got a lot more to go, but this has been an interesting year, poll watching for this team, for me anyway. And the reason why is because I look at, I look at, what they've done, and and I I always consider equity in things. How much does someone have to do, to buy themselves some grace when things don't go well? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And in the world, no one gets any equity. It's what have you done for me lately? Generally, in this mean world that we live in. But there are pockets. We all live in pockets. So to put that question toward Oregon State women's basketball, eight straight years in the tournament, Final Four just in 2016, uh, a 15-0 mark record 
and a team expected like this, well, this one wasn't expected to, but expected to maybe get back to the Final Four in 2020 when it was all shut down. So you couldn't see. Portland was the regional. All of that was in front of you. You're 15-0, and 0, I believe, at the time, and everything got shut down. That was only four years ago, three and a half years ago. And then 21 and 22 and 23, 23, you don't go to the tournament. And it's as if they didn't do anything at all. And I'm not whining, but I am kind of going, come on now. And meaning that when they were 8-0, 9-0, yeah, they weren't playing juggernauts. But they're getting the job done, and they were doing it by big margins, TJ. Then they get keep, keep going, keep going. They only have three losses. They're 20-3. and three. And I don't think they even entered the the, the uh, top 25. I don't remember what week it was, but it was late. It took a long time just to get, oh, okay, 25, no, getting votes, 25, 18, 17, bam, now up to 11. I kind of feel like they should have been at 11 a few games ago. Probably. But, but it is they, what it is. As they lo- keep saying, and like it is with most you can do is win the schedule in front of you and I mean that's what they're going to do this yeah, weekend that's what yeah. I mean that's what the football team did it, it doesn't like these college football playoff rankings do, it does not matter just like the AP poll voting it it does not matter if you if the Beavers <coughs> just keep winning and they win every game then I mean they, they would borderline be a one seed one or a two seed as the season goes along right I want to play this audio for you it was sent to me by uh, a listener and a friend and it's 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 uh, kind of interesting. Let me just play this. It's J.R. Payne and uh, Quay Miller from uh, the coach and one of the frontline players for Colorado post game. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating because like we're not hitting shots and they are. We're playing. We're trying to play our best defense. So, I mean, yeah, it's frustrating. But I I I'll kind of I want to say like it wasn't nothing OSU did like. It was all us. Like we knew, we prepared, like we prepared a certain way for for this game, knowing how we played them in Corvallis. And I don't know. I, I guess we just didn't execute the game plan as well as we needed to. I'll, I'll just say this, and, and again, this was pointed out to me. It, it can. It's generally when you you ask for respect, and you can. Compl- it's, it's a lot of whining and complaining. You just play what you play, and you win. Whatever. But sometimes it is noticeable when in a post game, a coach, their coach, J.R. Payne, she said, I think, OSU once. She never said Oregon State. She rarely even said them. She referred to their 25-point deficit, albeit a six-point loss, but the Peavers were crushing them. 7,000 fans, 5,000 feet, revenge game, and Oregon State was crushing them. And yeah, they gave up the 21 to 5 fourth quarter, but she gave zero credit to the Beavers in the postgame. Zero. Normally, I don't care. I don't care. This one, though, is a little bit obvious. Is that not normal coach talk, though? I mean, we, no, we, we hear so much. I feel like we hear. So, okay, so th- there probably was a little praise was absent, but normally when <coughs> the blame comes around post game with a, with a big loss like that, Usually the response is about that with, with a little more say, hey, credit to Oregon. It would be credit to Oregon State, but we didn't play our game. That's what yeah, we that's lost. Right. That's it, a, that is the standard pro quo coach in any right. sport. Didn't even say that, that. That's that's why we lost because no. we didn't do we didn't do. Didn't enough. even say that. It was so, it was honestly it was a different. Well, here's the thing. I was watching the video. She was trying to avoid saying Oregon State. She was trying. She literally was was uh, not the player, the coach. She was saying, uh, you know, 
we didn't play the, the we didn't do the offense that we were supposed to do, and you know we, we weren't getting the shots that we wanted. And yeah, they were hot from the field, but we just I mean from the get go there was no no set standard like mm. what you're talking about. And I know what you're saying, and I actually don't like complaining about things like this. And I'm not complaining. I'm playing it because it's funny to me. It's interesting, and it is out of the ordinary. It's it was it was out of the ordinary post game talk from a coach that refused to say anything about Oregon state. And then the player, and, and she said there, you know, it's nothing that OSU did. In fact, that, that was the only time I heard the word OSU even invoked in about an eight minute thing. It was interesting. It was very interesting. You know what I can tell from that? That she was pissed. <laughs> That's what, except the coach was, la- you know, smiling and looking around. The player was, was mad. But the coach was just kind of smiling, looking around, and doing all this. Let's get our final break in and then come back. We, uh, we've never really even got to our second topic, but we can maybe tomorrow and, and introduce it. But uh, um, it's kind of interesting. In fact, it will afford a little bit more time for some, some uh, research on it. Hmm. We'll get to that next here on the Joe Beaver Show. The phone number is 497 5356 Brought to you by Downward Dog. Also, the same thing for the text line. Brought to you by University Honda, 497-5356 on 1240 Joe Radio. How many years? So, we're just looking Jacoby at Ellsbury was a significantly above-average big leaguer for one season. It was a pretty good one. Yeah, he had to a, get him 150 million. Yeah, his 2011 season, he was second in M- MVP when he was a Red Sox. Got paid a lot of money. Yeah. Um, by the Yankees, and then just didn't really do anything else after that. Because, like, Jacoby in his career before that uh, was uh, a below big average big leaguer. Had that breakout year, uh, played two more seasons in Boston, got paid, and so who had didn't do anything career? again. Because one of them's still going. Well, let me, let, still me, going. let me look up. Let me, let me check here. I, I'm going to say Ellsbury because... One Michael year? is not yeah, well Michael's not finished runner up in, in MVP. True. He's had a good career. But what about the overall body Okay, of work? Uh, like I know we're not a we're not, this isn't in a big advanced numbers show, but just, just for example, uh, wins above replacement. Mm-hmm. Jacoby Ellsbury for his career from baseball references worth thirty one and Michael's been worth sixteen. Okay. And they've played uh, Michael's played a little bit less and it doesn't help that twenty twenty two can Michael didn't play at all. But you know, for his career, Conforto's a little bit better of a hitter, but I think that Jacoby has provided a little bit more value with the glove. And Conforto and will come back for the, with the Giants this year. Yeah, and Conforto, he, it, it was we got a, a text in that Conforto's going to be the DH this year, and that's great if Michael can come back and hit, but DHs have a, a significantly lower value threshold than any everyday position player who's out there playing defense every day. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're looking at former Beaver, former Beaver outfielders who are going to play a valuable piece on the 2024 San Francisco Giants, they'd probably say it'd be Wade Meckler instead of Michael Conforto All right. in terms of in terms of more value. Uh, but, you know, I, I do appreciate the request for Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, if someone w- would like to... Make someone would happen. like to make that happen and give us a connection. <laughs> we will uh, we will do what we can. We, we sometimes get these texts. You should get so and so. Oh yeah, yeah, we'd love sure. To. Yeah, let me let me just reach out to Jacoby's camp see if he <laughs> wants to take a break from golfing to to join us. I got to play this this piece of audio. Okay, for most of the first a lot of the first hour, we had this Tony Romo conversation, which 
I don't know if we played all of them. We played Iron Eagle. We play, I think we played them all. Anyway, someone sent this in. I don't know if it was Josh. I don't think so because Josh's text would come in with his name mm-hmm. on it. Josh Worden, who will be calling the games uh, before Mike gets there. He's got both the next couple weeks uh, coming up, uh, starting on Friday. But on Josh's own SoundCloud site is where this, can, this uh, link takes us to. So whoever emailed this, the email says, let me read the email. This is the best example of the color guy talking over the play-by-play guy of all time. Now listen to this call. Schaffner to inbound. He cannot run the floor. Tinkle on the floor with Peyton, Thompson, and Bruce. Schaffner looking for Thompson. Collects in the backcourt. And the clock's starting to run. At half court, two seconds left. Goes up for the three-pointer. Oh, my gosh! Thompson. Oh, my God! It's over! Oh, Oh my goodness, Stevie Thompson Jr. Are you kidding me? Rushed the floor. Wayne Tinkle started his sprint across the court. The clock has run out in Oregon State. The the scoreboard shows 81 to 81. They're saying it was a two-pointer and that Stevie Thompson shot has tied this game. No way. The referees are trying to put the the fans back on the student section. They've rushed the court. Wayne Tinkle thought it was a three-pointer. He started to run on the court with his hands raised high. (laughs) He's trying to get the students back in the student section as well. I love Brendan Slaughter. I love that kid. I'd love to, you know, after this show, I'm going to send him that and see what see what kind of memories he gets, and we can report back on the show tomorrow. Then Brendan uh, Slaughter, whom you work with on Beaver's Edge. Yeah. And Brendan does a great job, a great job on Beaver's Edge. He got a little excited on that he was, call. They were both in school at the time, and Josh was doing the play-by-play. Brendan was doing the color, and all that screaming was Brendan. Josh didn't even get a chance to say anything. I couldn't even hear Josh say that the shot went in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Brendan was overpowering him in that moment. That was classic. I remember when that first came out. I think some big place played it, uh, ESPN or somebody. That's so funny. <laughs> good. That is so good. It's so funny. It's so bad, but it's so funny. It's so, it's so funny. And, you know, student broadcasts, you, you'll, yes, get, a, you'll get a good mix of everything. And, and you save that for your when you're at 33 years like me. And, and, you, and you, you, you look back on it and you're like, wow, look at those memories. <laughs> wow, well, isn't that fun? Yeah, Ooh. but I'll have to give Brennan some crap about that. Yeah, we'll see how, much, see how much he remembers. I'm sure, actually, you know what? I'm sure he vividly remembers that. That's an off chance he's listening to us right now. All right, so tomorrow, we have about two minutes here. Let's just tease it. Tomorrow, let's get into, and of course, we'll have a couple of guests tomorrow. Who do we have tomorrow? Tanner Smith, Oregon State catcher at 11.30, and then we'll have Louis Quintana from the track and field team at 12.05. Yeah, and uh, tomorrow's uh, Wednesday, so we'll have some basketball to talk about and some other things. But some news broke today that you found anyway Mm -hmm. as you were scanning things um, about, honestly, my initial feeling about this is rage. Tell me I'm wrong that the bowl games that have been Pac-12 bowl games say that they're going to they're going to use the same setup and honor those yeah. with former Pac-12 teams. The, yeah, there's no so new bowl TV contracts come into place two years from now in 2026. So until then, the bowl lineups are like, well, we have these agreements with these conferences that we're supposed to have this amount of teams, but won't actually have that. So instead of just having empty bowls or filling with that large, we would like to fill with teams of those former conferences. So the former 10 Pac-12 schools will be eligible for 
the Pac-12 bowls. Right. The like bowl lineup, the Alamo Bowl, the Holiday, Holiday Bowl, LA Bowl, etc. Those Bowl. Those, those bowls still want to be able to fill with ex-Pac-12 teams, and it's the same for Big 12 bowls. They can use Texas and Oklahoma. They're going to do the same thing. Now, of course, the Big 12 with their new teams and the SEC with their mm-hmm. new teams are not happy that their teams are going to be poached for bowls without their name in it. Well, not only that, but what if you're, let's say you're Oregon and you, you're in the Big Ten and you finish in sixth place, and the Big Ten has a sixth place goes to XYZ Bowl, and it's not one of the old Pac-12 bowls. That's a good question. Then well, how does that work? You, you you have to, if you're if you're a team that left here and you went to a different conference, you have to um, fulfill your obligation to the conference. This isn't a finalized agreement, as Brett McMurphy reported to the Action Network. Not a f- totally finalized agreement between the conferences and the bowls, but as of right now, this is how it looks of how they're going to yeah. fill out those bowl games in the future. And I think the quote in there was, you know, outside of blowing up the entire bowl structure, which they probably do, by the way. But if they're not going to do that, this is the next most logical step for these bowls to currently to and operate the, as they currently do. And the next most logical question is. Do Oregon State and Washington State get the proceeds? Do they get the money from them? I would assume so. They should. Because, yeah, fine, great. Oregon, come on over, play in the Sun Bowl. And uh, we'll, we'll take the check. Check, please. Thank you. Yep. I think, though, that the Beavers and Cougars should have their choice of which bowl they get to go to. Because you shouldn't slot it anymore. There's no conference to slot it in. We're out of time. Our thanks to um, uh, Ellie Garcia and the uh, president of the college baseball deal. See you tomorrow.